Hey, hey, hey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Critical uh, Q&A number 400 live from Denver. It is Sunday afternoon. And uh, as you can see, I am joined by my beautiful wife, Melissa, this Hello. time. Excellent. We are all looking and sounding good. Yay! Uh, very, very, very happy to be here with you today. I have been looking forward to this all week um, because this is the first time we are trying the call-in show format for Critical Q&A. And I don't, I, this is a special thing for my Critical Q&A shows. So for, so if it's not clear, I have, a, I have three different weekly shows that I post on my channel. There is uh, Critical Conversations, which is the call-in show that happens every Friday right here at 6 o'clock Denver time, Mountain Standard Time. Then there is my podcast, the Sensibly Speaking podcast, and that posts every Saturday. And episode number 376 just posted yesterday. Um, and that has that episode, by the way, I'm going to wag my finger at you guys because it has uh, not been being very watched. And I was very disappointed by that because it's uh, such a great episode. So I hope you guys will check out the podcast I posted yesterday. And um, and that is all tongue in cheek. I hope you realize. Anyway, <laughs> and then um, today or on Sundays is when I post Critical Q and A, and that is a, well, that's the show I've been doing for the longest amount of time, regularly every week. Um, I think it's normally it's always generally been a, a weekend show. I think Sundays, and it is now, and um, and so here we are on Sunday, and we're doing it live. Uh, it's not always a live show. I try to I, what I was trying to kind of do was do it about once a month as a live show to interact with y'all, and we would take in the questions through the comments, and I would answer them as we go. And I usually get talking at a pretty mad rate because I want to get through a lot of questions for you guys. But I'm going to kind of try to slow down a little bit today. We're doing an extended length show for the 400th episode. So we'll probably be here, I'm thinking, about an hour and a half, depending on how things go. Of course, if nobody calls in and there's no questions coming in, then obviously that wouldn't... Uh, we wouldn't have any reason to just sit here <laughs> just and keep, here. yeah, just keep going on. But I think we'll have some questions come in. We almost always do. Um, and then, as people are arriving, I wanted to just uh, check in real fast and see one thing here. Uh, no, that's fine. We can just see them coming in there. Okay, good. So never mind that. She, uh, my wife, is here today, Mel. To, to answer questions, if you have questions for her, feel free to ask. Um, she's got a mic as well, mm -hmm. but she's also basically kind of watching through the chat box for any questions that come in. And here's the, here's the kind of setup today is, um, is we're looking for phone calls. So that's what we're going to need is we're going to need to see that tab for, the, um, for what calls are coming in if they are, right? right we'll have right. it displayed there. And then um, we will be looking for questions in the comment section. And, of course, Super Chat uh, connected questions will uh, be at the top of the queue, and she'll be, she'll be doing that. So, uh, oh, what happened here? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I get it. Let me, let me take, a, take a look here. One moment, please. <laughs> um, where did our... Yeah, hold on. I was trying to... 
make that thing come up that you made come up, and I can't make it come up, and oh, now it's okay. all frozen. Oh, interesting. How did you do that? Well, let me see. Did I do it that way, or? Well, I pressed something that I think was. Ah, wow. <gasps> okay. I, I don't know where the mouse went. Okay. All right. Well, let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not over there either. Oh, well, there's there the mouse. Okay. okay, good. There's there's the mouse. Right. Okay, good. We lost our mouse for a moment. Um, now, one thing I wanted to start the show with, though, is something that was kind of uh, interesting uh, that comes that that happens. But I thought it might um, might be kind of uh, useful or reflective to discuss uh, for a second. Um, and maybe this is just a little ego-filled rant as well. <laughs> but here's what I wanted to say. I am, I'm pretty wide open to talk to people and try to help them understand what Scientology, what coercive control, and what cults, destructive cults, are all about. This is my thing. This is what I do. I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a psych-based kind of guy. I think sort of, you know, that way. And I like to get down to the heart of, of issues and stuff. And I've, sp- and I've taken a lot of time to try to educate myself over the years and recover from Scientology, as you guys well know. And I, at, the, at, <clears throat> at the same time that I've been doing that, I've been building up a YouTube channel because this is a way for me to uh, make a living doing what I love and helping people. Um, And that was always what Scientology was about for me, was helping people. Um, And if I wasn't helping people, then I felt like I wasn't really accomplishing my purpose. And over time, that was one of the things that... um, that really got to me in Scientology was that I wasn't, you know, that the help was coming in fewer and far between um, because of all the emphasis on money, 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 and, and, uh, and all the kind of nonsense that Miscavige had gotten it off into. Um, so then, you know, of course, uh, find out all the truth about that. Since leaving a group like that, one of the things that happens, and it happened to me, is you go from this kind of ego monster as a cult member to eating an awful lot of humble pie as you realize the depths of, of deception and nonsense that you were subscribing to in the, in the cult. I, you know, I, I bought into heaps of nonsense and spread it and thought it was true and tried to, you know, and fought very uh, energetically for those truths. And I thought I was on the side of right and good and pure and ethics and all of that. And I wasn't. You know, I just wasn't. Um, so there was an awful lot of, you know, um, sort of ice water dips, you could say. These sort of, you know, kind of moments of, wow, I really, not only did I not know what I was talking about, I, I was destructive in what I was talking about as a Scientologist. I really had no idea. Um, and there's a lot of humility. If uh, I, for me, I think that's a necessary step on the on the way out of these kind of mindsets to acknowledge that. Uh, wow, you know, no idea what I was talking about, and that can be humbling in a way that can can for me lasted an awful long time. Of wow, I really shouldn't. You know, I should be kind of careful <laughs> about what I glom onto, uh, what I what I think is real and true. What I'm willing, what hell am I willing to die on? What what are the things that are that are true, no matter what you know, or that I'm going to hold on to, and all that. 
And where I'm going with all this is that that's a little bit of a curve because then having gone and gotten a new education and working as a consultant now where I'm actually helping people one-on-one and I want to do a lot more of that, it is kind of revigorated and reproved to me that there is value in what I do and there is importance in what I do because I can help people in significant ways, not in the ways I thought I was doing it as a Scientologist. I'm not freeing beings. I'm not creating spiritual gods. I'm just helping people through difficult times. That's enough. For me, that's enough. But it's proven to me now, again, you know, that one-on-one work is different from this kind of educational work where I'm just talking to a camera in my in my office here and seeing the results, right, through your comments and through your feedback and through your support and donations and all that, right? That's that's what tells me I'm doing, you know, something valuable. Um, but the one-on-one is really bringing it home. And what that's done for me personally, which I thought you guys might want be interested in, is, is it's really helped kind of boost that ego a little bit more, but in a good way now, right? Because it's, I haven't forgotten any of those lessons of humility, but it comes to a point now where I realize again, uh, you see, one of the side effects of this is you start thinking you're valueless as a, you know, b- back when you're eating all this humble pie, it's like, well, I don't really matter. I'm not important. My time doesn't matter. My worth is minimal. And so therefore, you know, I should just, you know, martyr myself for some bullshit, right? And that's kind of not a good place to be. So um, now, um, now it's not that way, right? You kind of reclimb that ladder and kind of build yourself back up with a much more realistic look, you know? And I think I touched on this also when I was doing my education as far as that imposter syndrome stuff. And so now when I reach out and try to help somebody, as happened in the last two days on uh, this guy who uh, was on Twitter and was just making a stink, and he looked like he was this non-Scientology guy who had been fooled by the anti-Scientology rhetoric that's put out by the Office of Special Affairs. And he was buying it hook, line, and sinker. And he was trashing Leah and trashing Mike Rinder and talking about what religious bigots they were and how destructive they were. And he was just buying into... um... Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Let me... um... Okay, first off, let's get the comments on the screen. And... Yes, 984-214-4154 is the number. I should have put that on there. I am so sorry that I did not, that I did not do that. 984-214-4154. Thank God I just have said that so many times that I just remember <laughs> the number. Sorry, guys. Big oversight on my part. Let me write that down here real fast. 984-214-4154. Okay. Okay. Nine eight four two one four four one five four. Okay. Um, so this guy Ryan, yeah. Anyway, so this guy was making a stink on Twitter, and I decided, you know, what the hell? I'll reach out and see if he's interested in actually learning something about this. Um, you know, because he has no idea what he's talking about, right? And he was really carrying water for Osa, right, and really getting into it with people and engaging and arguing and back and forth, and insults were flying, and it was all a little bit silly. And um, um, he stood me up, right? We made an appointment. He stood me up, uh, didn't even let me know. And then I go, and then, you know, 
me being me, you know, he reaches out and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I dropped my phone, blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. Let's reschedule it. Right. And then he comes back today with demands that it has to be a recorded call, uh, you know, and we have to, and maybe we could post it on channels or whatever. And I'm like, mm. I, dude, you did not get the point of this at all. You did not get where I'm coming from. And obviously you do not value my time. Uh, that you stand me up and then you start making all these weird demands. He calls himself a journalist, but he's not, clearly not. And because uh, I've dealt with journalists, I've dealt with lots of journalists over the years, more than more than you guys know. I get calls all the time uh, from media about things and people asking me questions and wanting to know things. And, and I deal with fact checkers. And I've, I've, you know, I've done that work. And so I know what it is to talk to a journalist versus some YouTuber and some mm -hmm. blogger, right? And so I was trying to do him a favor and he's thinking he's doing me a favor or something. So I was like, yeah, no, you don't get it. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't understand what this is about and you're just wasting my time. And um, anyway, I'm just telling you that whole story um, because it was kind of fun to realize newly without feeling you know like I'm on some ego fest that my time actually is valuable um that's all all of that just to say that <laughs> but also I wanted to give a, I wanted to give some time for everybody to show up and uh and for some questions to come in and stuff do we have a few yeah we do and we have someone on the phone too. excellent all right well let's go ahead and take our first phone call all righty we've got Darla Darla okay Okay. Hello. Is this Darla? Yes, it is. How hey. are you? Hey, I am good. Uh, welcome to my number 400 episode. Thanks for calling in. Well, that's the reason why I called was to congratulate you on this 400th episode. Well, thank you. I really yeah, appreciate thank that. Thank you. And well, you're really welcome. And hi, Melissa. Hello. Sorry I missed you there. Me. Hope you're doing well. Thank you look you. great, as Thank always. You. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, Chris, I guess really all I really wanted to say to you is that over the years that I've been watching your channel, um, I can see all of the growth that you have had and you know i just want to tell you how proud i guess is the word oh well thank you thank that, you that, that you've come so far and um you hit i just can't say like what you've done to me and i for me and i wasn't even in a cult you know mine all comes back to um my parents, you know, my mother yeah. and, um, you know, that's really, but it's amazing. Like what, how you can apply the advice that you give towards a, um, towards a personal problem, such as one that I incurred. Mm. And, um, I just wanted to say if you had, if you agree with that. Uh, yes, I, I, I try. That's what I try to do. Absolutely. Is, is, is bring these concepts down to the personal level and try to help people with them. Sure. Yeah. Well, you do a wonderful job. Oh, I'm not going to tie up 
the line ah. or anything like that. Right. I uh, just really wanted to, to congratulate you. Awesome. And say that, you know, you do an awesome job. Well, thank you, Darla. Thank yes, you very thank much. You. you know, somebody suggested, and I, and I should have said this earlier, but I was on my whole ego roll, um, that when people call in, maybe I should ask them a question, too. Would you be up for a question? Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, I thought I would, and, and it's, and there's no pressure here at all, right? Because it gives me an opportunity to explain some things if you, if you don't know the answer. But here's my question is, do you know what ARC stands for in the ARC triangle in Scientology? ARC. Yes. No. Okay. It's affinity, reality, and communication. And it's a and it's a ecology symbol with the S and the two triangles. That triangle is yeah. the, is the bottom triangle of that symbol. It's a it's an A R C triangle, and it, and those three things are supposed to add up to understanding something. So if you're trying to figure out how you why it is you don't understand something, you're supposed to boost your affinity, reality, or communication with that thing. And that is what will make you uh, bring you to an understanding of it. It's a it's a it's a silly concept because there's a lot there's so many exceptions to that rule that it's really not universally workable. But it's a it's a die hard fundamental principle in Scientology. And do you believe in that? I do not. Not anymore. <laughs> I used to. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, but it's one of those uh, cornerstones of Scientology that. Even ex-Scientologists will hold on to until they until they take the time to really critically examine it because it sounds like it makes sense and it sounds like it always works, but it doesn't. There's so many exceptions that it is really not um, a very useful thing. Isn't that with everything in Scientology? Exactly. <laughs> That's why I led with that <laughs> as a question. I have more for other callers when they call in, but uh, I thought we might have some fun with uh, questions back and forth. I thought that was great. I think that's great. Awesome. So you guys have a wonderful day. And I'll just ask for y'all to think of us here in East Palestine, Ohio, where we had the train derailment. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. oh that's where you're calling from, Darla? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. My, uh, I mean, I would say thoughts and prayers, but I don't do that. But I definitely my, my I, hopes and, you know, and, uh, and goodwill to you. I really, really hope that this gets cleaned up yes, and that, and yes. that the, you know, responsible parties are held accountable. This is, I've been watching and I'm, I'm devastated by that. If that happened here, I don't, I mean, Jesus. So I, good luck to you. Yeah, it is pretty crazy, and I don't believe in thoughts and prayers either, but just put something out there into the universe for all of us that were continue, you know, that they do hold up their end of things and um, do what they say they're going to do instead of this just going to the wayside as most corporate things do. Exactly, exactly. Well, Darla, best of luck with that. Okay. Yeah. All right, thanks for calling. Thanks a lot, Chris. Bye-bye. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Awesome. Bye. Awesome, awesome. Okay, good. 
um, yeah, that situation out there is not not good. I have been, um, oh my god, you know, very unimpressed with uh, with all the responses to that, and then to and then to watch the political opportunism of it. You know, Trump rubs up there. And, you know, in a, in a way with the, with the regulations, he's, you know, kind of uh, responsible for some of that. So, yeah, not good. All right. Well, um, so that question thing for those calling in. Yeah, I might throw a question at you, too, <laughs> as we go here. So, uh, so again, 984-214-4154 is the, um, is the call-in line. I really, boy, I really should have thrown that up there. Maybe... Um, I don't know how to get it up on the screen at this point, though, okay. mid-show. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I'd I'd have to run off and go do something. I don't want to do that in the middle of the show. <laughs> Urgh, my bad. Um, well, then, but we did have some questions yeah. come in, yeah? Okay, so the first two are for me. So uh, Vernon, please, I apologize in advance, Salvatierra uh, asks, Melissa, did you go to the Adventist Church? I have been to a seventh day Adventist church a few times. My, um, my grandmother is church of seventh day. My dad was growing up, but he got out of it. Um, so I haven't really been involved in it or anything like that. My dad was, and he just said, I'm not doing that to my kids and didn't raise us that way. <laughs> and, uh, no, I did not know that Ellen White was a co-founder of that religion or considered a prophetess. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. No, I didn't know about that either. Now, um, and and it, do I have it right that that is a young Earth creationist mythology or at or least faith? the the version that my grandma goes to? Yes, is young Earth creationist believes there was baby dinosaurs on the ark. Um, right. Oh, can we do this? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and throw that on there. Uh, eight four two one four four one five four. And then post that, and then I think you can, there we go. Okay, good. Let's try that. <laughs> uh, good. And let me just check one thing real fast. Um, let me see. Yep, I did remember that number right. <laughs> just double checking the phone number to make sure I remembered it right, because we do have that displayed on our, on our call-in studio thing there, yeah. so... Good idea there, guys. Thank you for helping me with this. I, you know, again, just these little things that uh, I wish I thought. <laughs> I was thinking about so many other things. Okay, well, what do we have next on the uh, questions coming in from the All comments? All right, we've got from J.R. Exner. You did a fantastic podcast on history of man. Could you review Revolt in the Stars and discuss the queer coding and psi viewpoints expressed in the script yeah i um i think i did some kind of i don't know if i covered it on a q and I remember reading through i oh yeah it was a q and a show there was an earlier q and a show where i did that so i will absolutely do a podcast on that that is actually a really good idea let me write that down revolting in the stars <laughs> uh it's bad man it's bad it's not a screenplay for a long time i thought i'd been told it was a screenplay that hubbard had written in the 1970s but it's really just more of a of a novella it's more of a, of a treatment i guess you would say but it's kind of this long extended one it's not really just a few paragraphs or a page it goes on and on and on so it's really kind of told in story form and it's awful i mean shockingly bad 
And it was Hubbard's um, response to Star Wars. It was his effort to oh, go, no. oh, my God, Star Wars is, is taking off. It's so big. Let's do something with that. And he wrote this thing. And I don't even, I, I don't even, uh, it would be, <laughs> it could, I mean, it has craptastic potential. You know, it's kind of, it could be like Cocaine Bear. It could be one of those kind of like insane kind of <laughs> movies that is just nothing but gore and, 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 and schlock and nonsense. And you know that going in, that's the kind of movie it could be. If somebody made it with their tongue firmly in their cheek and knew what they were doing, but that was not what Hubbard's intention was. He he put it together as a serious science fiction story, and uh, oh my god, yeah, I could absolutely do a podcast on this. So good good idea, uh, Jr. I'll do that. All right. So next we have from Pineapple Pizza, a friend of the family just got a job as a teacher. After a brief check of the school's website, I can see it's an applied scholastic school that applies the teaching of LRH. Should I be worried? Yes. Yeah, you should. Um, They're going to be teaching at that school. That means that they're going to be indoctrinated into L. Ron Hubbard's study technology. Study tech is an entire body of techniques that are used by Scientologists in order to facilitate learning. Um, and they are not any one of them necessary. Well, there's varying degrees, actually, I should say. There are some techniques that are outright, you know, nonsensical and, and destructive. There's something called false data stripping, which is a technique of, of removing or roto-rootering false information out of your head. Well, how do you know it's false? Because the guy doing it on you says it is. You know, it's that kind of thing. So you could do false data stripping on psychiatry and come up with, or psychology and come up with the uh, conclusion that everything in it is false, which is not true at all, right? Um, so it's a, that sort of a method of, of concentrated confirmation bias. But the, but the basic fundamentals of study technology involve looking up words you don't understand, doing clay demos or demonstrations of things with little bits of stuff to get more reality or what they call get more mass on a thing, right? It's hard to learn about a car if you don't see a picture of a car. And better yet, go put your hands on a car, right? I mean, that's, that's, that has some validity to it. Uh, and then there is this idea of a skipped gradient where you take on too much too fast. You're in first grade and you try to jump to fourth grade and it's too much. You're not going to be able to deal with that and that's going to cause you issues. Pretty common sense stuff if you think about it, but Hubbard breaks it down and he, and he got these ideas from other people and he, and he took them and claimed ownership of them himself and they have put together an, an entire Scientology front group called Applied Scholastics. Which, te- which, which seeks to teach teachers in Hubbard's study methodology. And a lot of Scientologists are very, very sincere about this, okay? This is not some nefarious practice that Scientologists are, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get to the kids. You know, some of them I maybe might, might like that. But most, for most Scientologists, it's an honest effort to try to help, um, you know, make people more literate through clearing up words that they don't understand in the text that they're reading and stuff like that. And if you want to know, you know, why a lot of ex-Scientologists tend to be fairly literate people, that's the reason. 
Uh, we spent hours and hours and hours in with our noses in dictionaries and encyclopedias uh, trying to sort out Hubbard's nonsensical ramblings by looking up these, you know, all the words he was using. So is that, you know, destructive? No, not in and of itself. But the stress that I always put on Scientology with this stuff is they dial it up to 11 and say things as ridiculous as the only reason that you can't learn something, the only reason is because you don't understand the words. And you got to look up all the words and get them all cleared up, even if that includes grammar terms, symbols like a semicolon or a comma or an apostrophe or exclamation point. If you don't understand those, you're not going to understand it. You know, fair enough. It will certainly impede your understanding if you don't understand this stuff. But it's not the barrier to learning or study that the Scientology pretends it is. There's a lot of other reasons people can't learn stuff, and Scientology ignores every one of them. If it's not Hubbard stuff, it doesn't matter. It's not true. We don't pay any attention to it. And that's where they go off the rails with their so-called so study technology. So your friend is going to go in and be taught all of this and be told these things just like I'm describing it to you. That's what the material that this person's going to be given is going to say, and they're going to have to conform with that and use that in their teaching. And, you know, again, in moderation, sure, fine, you know, but that's not how they tend to use it. It's culty, and cults are not reasonable groups of people. They're irreasonable. They're unreasonable groups of people, right? And that's the problem there. So, um, okay, so there we go. Okay, so we have a call in the queue, and also we had a couple super chats while you were talking. Oh, okay. So we have Robert Redman gave us a super chat, and then we have Me Time DIY with Erica gave us a $20 super chat. So oh, thank you, Me Time DIY with Erica. If DM was a sane person and treated people like a person, would you still be in, or did you have doubts anyway? My my leaving Scientology was not predicated on David Miscavige's abuse, his physical abuses, or him not being a nice person. So I would have gotten out anyway because of the culture and nature of Scientology. That's what got me out. And it took a long time for all the red flags to add up and for me to finally get the guts to go, you know what, this ain't what I want to be doing anymore. I really need to make a life change. That's what got me out. So after the fact of leaving, I knew that there was trouble at Int Management, at International Management of Scientology. That was clear to me while I was still in. Um, the, the writings about Mike Rinder, who had left, the writings about Tom DeVock, who had left, Amy Scobie, um, and, my, and Mark, Marty Rathbun, the writings within the church about those people convinced me something fishy was going on because they were being painted out to be such awful villains. And Miscavige was being, it was being painted out to be completely ignorant and not aware of how off the rails all of them were and how there was real physical violence at it management. That I knew about. 
And I suspected from what I was reading in the Scientology materials on this, this, no, there's something really rotten here. But that wasn't what got me out. What got me out was much more personal stuff. So after I left and confirmed all of those suspicions that I'd had and talked to Mike and talked to others who had been physically abused by David Miscavige personally, and Jefferson Hawkins goes into quite a bit of detail about this in the podcast I've done with him, um, that's what convinced me that there was you know, something even more rotten than I had been aware of. Um, so no, David Miscavige's personality was not really the factor for me. Okay. Yeah. We have a couple more super chats, and like I said, we do have a call in the queue. So. All right. Well, let's do the super chats, and then we'll get to All the right. call. What do we got here, We've Fabian? We got Fabian Andiel. How does Scientology pay staff internationally, not being considered not a religion, and firm minimum wage laws in place in Austria? You cannot work for free. Um, religious volunteers. I think, I don't think there's a country in the world where you're not given the right to volunteer for a religious practice. Hmm. And that is how Scientology staff are treated in the contracts, whatever legal contracts they sign in order to be staff members at a church of Scientology. And I'm not talking about the Sea Org, although the same rules apply to the Sea Org actually. So it is Sea Org and staff. I, I, it is same. Um, in terms of this pay issue, is they can pay whatever they want because it's not pay. It's not pay for labor. It's your volunteering, and as a sign of our generosity, we're going to give you some pocket change. You know, here's your be, dollar. Yeah, here's your <laughs> dollar, right? Um, and that's the legally binding contract that you sign when you become a Scientology staff member. In any country where they're operating, they, they set it up that way. And if there's a country, you know, where you cannot volunteer for a religious organization, then you got to let me know because I don't know of one. And that's, that's how they do it. It's not a matter of having to get around labor laws. Labor laws just don't apply in this situation because of the religious nature of Scientology. This is one of their get-out-of-jail-free cards when it comes to First Amendment in the United States and religious protection around the world is they all just fall back on, but we're a religion and they're just volunteering. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the answer on that one. And then um, right. so the what was that other one there? next one, also from Fabian. On whom could Hubbard have trained his hypnosis skills which he implemented, implemented in Scientology? Ugh. Well, Fabian, I'm not sure you're asking that the way the question's worded here, you're asking who else did he train on hypnosis in implementing Scientology? And my answer is everybody, because that's what Dianetics is. Dianetics is a, is a covert form of, of inducing hypnotic trance and, uh, and creating false memory syndrome, uh, amongst other things. So everybody, I would say, uh, as far as who did he train in it but the, the see this is that deceptive thing because nobody in scientology knows that's what they're doing and they would argue with you very energetically if you if you told them that is what they are doing i sure heard that when i was in scientology i heard it hypnotism and i was like no it's not that's ridiculous there's no way this is hypnotism and my understanding of hypnotism, of course, was limited to stage hypnosis mm -hmm. <laughs> and showmanship and the nonsense that, that stage hypnotists get up to. Um, that's, you know, that's one level of it for the, for the public entertainment. 
But there is real hypnosis that is done for therapeutic purposes, and there is such a thing as trance, and there is such a thing as as uh, false memory syndrome, and there is such a thing as post pre and post hypnotic suggestion and priming people and all of these things we've talked about. So that's what Hubbard was was utilizing and taking advantage of, but he renamed it and reconfigured it so people wouldn't think of it that way. And Scientologists have been have been hoodwinked accordingly. Um okay, so then what, this one here or Well I I think she was Responding to his question. Oh, right, right, right. And, and clarify away if I'm misunderstanding your question. Let's go ahead and switch over to the calls. All right. And we'll do the next call coming in here. All right. Not sure who. Oh, I think this is... Uh, is this Clearwater, Chad? Yes, sir. Hey, uh, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. I just want to say uh, you and your wife are doing a great job. I'm happy to be here oh, on your 400 episodes. Thank you. Oh well, thank you very much. Very appreciated. How are you? Do- how are you doing today? Good, good. Thank you. Cool. How's the weather in Clearwater? <laughs> I guess this is a question. <laughs> 67 degrees and uh, winds at winds at 11. Awesome. And 93 humidity. Chris. Whoa. Awesome. I'm going to be doing a report. Oh, oh. oh, I'm sorry. I cut yeah, you off you there. Can. What was that last? I'm going to be doing a weather report tonight live on Poe and the Go at 8 o'clock. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great. Do you have any other questions for us today? No, no. I just wanted to say congratulations for your 400 episodes. Awesome. Well, Well, thank thank you you. very much. Very appreciated. You're welcome, guys. All right. Talk to you later. Have a great day. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right. Cool. Um, I think we've got Henny next. Oh, okay. Let's let's pick it up. Hello, hi, you are, hi. Hello, <laughs> oh, hello, everybody, and congratulations on your four hundred show. Mazel tov, mazel tov. Thank you. Um, can you hear me? Ah, yes. oh, good. Well, I wanted to say that I am so appreciative of your of everything that you have taught me personally. You know, from 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 physical things and uh, Melissa about diabetes and critical thinking and coercive control and I can go on and on and on about all the things that I've learned and have yet to to learn and I'm so grateful and thankful to oh. you both for for your education and expertise. It's been really really good, awesome. and uh, I wanted to put that out there. So I do have two questions quickly. Yeah. Do you happen to know what the four hundred, what the first episode of the four hundred was about? Um, I remember talking about. I think I remember talking about either communication or ARC. I, I, I but I cannot remember what the questions that I took up were in my first episode. Now, I cannot. Okay. Melissa, Scientology you were stuff. Saying something, darling. Oh no! I was just. I was no, laughing. no, no, no. <laughs> okay, good, good. I can't see you. As you know, I can only hear you right now. And um, the second question I wanted to ask was, Chris, Yeah. Um, you spent so much time in Scientology and you know so much about it. And what I wanted to ask you was, is there something that you can give us 
that we can pass along to, let's say, the children to be able to not be fooled by these, you know, by the manipulation of a cult and how how we can get them young to know about critical thinking. Is there one thing? Is there something, Chris? Like instead of, you know, look, you guys spent a lifetime in there. Yep. You know, yep. you and Mike Rinder and and it's it, still there are people still in there and not not uh, realizing what is happening. So what I would like to know is if there's any ideas on how to prevent it so much earlier so that so much time is not wasted and so much of the mind doesn't have to be reprogrammed. It's already hard enough just to survive without having to, you know, Absolutely. find out about reality. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was my question. Great. It's a great question and one that I've been thinking about for years, obviously. Um, here are my here are my bottom line two things that I would try to get across that I think even that that I think you could get across even to children and that would be one never make an important decision on the same day right always give yourself time to think about anything that you think of as an important decision mm-hmm. never act in the moment okay. right um, whatever yeah. grand That's crazy. Right. Whatever grand opportunity you are being presented with, it'll still be there tomorrow if it's really that good of an opportunity. Otherwise, somebody's just trying to sell you something. Right. So that would be that would be point number one. Thank you. And then point number two would be don't be afraid of your emotions. Don't try to run away from them or hide from them or think that there's something bad or wrong. And, and an awful lot of emotional manipulation that goes on out there has to do with, you know, our guilt over how we feel about something or, or we feel it's wrong or we feel there's something we need to suppress or get rid of about our emotions. And we and this is emotional intelligence, right, is is recognizing, understanding and dealing with your emotions and accepting them for what they are. And processing them, right? But the beginning, the, the simple point there is don't be afraid of your emotions. They're not there to be afraid okay. of. They're there to experience. And that, I think, is a, is a much more powerful thing than we, than we might imagine at first glance. But, mm-hmm. it's, uh, but I think it's an important point that, 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 that we could, could benefit from. I couldn't agree more with that. That's really excellent because oftentimes our body gives us signals yes. that something isn't right. Yes, exactly. And like our stomach or, or whatever, the hairs on the back of your neck, something tells you it's not right. And we're so accommodating to just suppress it or ignore it or tell it to shut up. And that's really what we need to listen to is what I've gotten out of what you said. Yes, I agree. Exactly. It's paying attention to what your body is trying to tell you because this is you and it's a whole system. Yes. And this is part of it and this is part of it, you know, and and it's listening and understanding and that'll save you so much time in regret, you know. And yes. I think those two things yes. are, are really rock bottom principles for me at this point. 
Well, I really appreciate those two things. And I'm glad that you were able to give that to me because, again, it's another learning experience as this show is. I love this show so awesome. much. Awesome. And and I thank you very much. And um, yeah, um, I guess I'll just go because I really don't want to answer any questions. I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Annie. I won't fire one at you then. You okay. have a great day. <laughs> thank you. I'll take a pass. Okay. Right, bye Love bye. you guys. Bye. Bye. All right. Good deal. Love Henny. Okay. Yes. Let's go. Let's, uh, I see Travis in the queue there. We'll get to you in just a sec. Let's flip over to the, uh, anything else we, uh, oh yeah, we got some okay, questions. Okay, so we got, uh, X Science says, I like the t-shirt, Chris, strike first, strike hard. Where did you get it and any story about it? Oh, sure. Okay, great. Yeah, this is just my Cobra Kai t-shirt. I thought I would wear it today because I was feeling a little punchy after my interactions with that guy I was telling you about at the beginning of the show. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's, there's a recognition for me that, um, that sometimes, uh, this is a tough one because I don't want to be misunderstood, but, you know, I'm a pacifist, right? I'm not a violent guy. I'm not into violence as a solution to problems. I'm really not. And you've seen me rail against it time and time and time again. And so I feel a little bit of danger in saying this, but literally because you directly asked me, I have to be honest, that it has been occurring to me lately that sometimes when you're in a corner, that's, that's, that's what you got. And is is you got to push back. Um, and when it comes, and the and the thing that really got me thinking about this was not Scientologists, because this is in no way, shape, or form to be interpreted as let's go beat up on cult members. Now that's not at all where I'm coming from. But it got me. But I but I, what I was thinking about was Nazis, <laughs> because we're seeing a little bit of rise in in exposure of of the extremist minority that exists in this country with with the real real nasty, I want to incite a race war kind of people. And, you know, Hitler and his legions were only put down through force. There was no reasoning with those people. There was no ability to talk them down. They were, they had violent intent and they were not going to be stopped. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when people get into an extremist headspace where they feel that is the path they want to go on and they invest themselves in it emotionally, physically, and start engaging in um, violent rhetoric, violent actions uh, against society and parts of society they don't agree with, um, you know, like, for example, all blacks, we're going to kill all the blacks now, right? This kind of nonsense. Um, then they have to be pushed back on. Yes. And I, and that's kind of what inspires me with this, right? Is it's kind of like, yeah, sometimes that's necessary. And I had to kind of reconcile myself to that quite honestly, because I am a naturally peaceful person. That's my thing. And, uh, and 99% of the time, that's what you're going to hear come out of my mouth is, no, let's resolve this with reason and communication. Because far more problems can be resolved that way than I think a lot of people out there imagine. And people like Daryl Davis, a black man who has confronted and communicated with and disrobed over 200 KKK members with conversation alone and fr- and and friendly, friendly, compassionate, empathetic, re- you know, relationships. 
that's way more powerful than violence. Way more because you're positively changing somebody's life permanently and they then become your ally and help you in your endeavor. So that's the path. But there are some people who will not be reasoned with, who will not communicate, who will not even sit down to have that conversation. And at that point, you know, you really don't, you, you've kind of run out of options. And that's what, that's what this reflects. <laughs> so that's where I'm coming from on that. All right. All right. Okay, Chris, uh, this is also from Vernon. Chris, did you ever meet Shelly? Did your parents meet LRH? Okay, good. No and no. Um, uh, I have never met Shelly Miscavige. Uh, never was in that vicinity of her to, to meet her. Um, I've been in the same room as David Miscavige, I think, three or four times. Uh, interacted with him. Had written communications back and forth with him. Uh, back and forth, back and forth. But never uh, met Shelley, and uh, none of my family ever met Hubbard. He was, uh, ironically, though, he lived less than 100 miles from us when he was hiding out in Creston, California. I was, I was in Santa Maria, California, going to high school and starting my Scientology life when he was right up the road, and we had no idea. It's so it, it's just hilarious to me. He was up outside of uh, San Luis Obispo, which was an hour up the road, you know. So that that kind of cracked me up years after the fact how close I was and that I could have met him had I known that we would have just driven up there and hung out until he showed up, you know. But uh, but that never happened. So let's go ahead and take uh, the the call, and then we'll get back to the comment questions All here. Right. Got Travis. All right, Travis. Are you? Greetings. Thank hey. you for having me on on your show. Awesome. Thank you for your patience and waiting. No problem, Chris. I have a question directly from you, but Melissa, I, if you have something to add to the answer, I, I tr believe me, I every I'd like you know your your input would be valuable. Okay. Okay. Um. So. Chris, you spent how many years in Scientology? Was it 27? 27, yeah, officially, yeah. Okay. Okay, so is there an unofficial number? Uh, 34, I think, if we take it back to when I was a, a youngster first being introduced to it. Yeah, it's a, that's quite a while. Mm. And my honest, or my honest question for you is, or earnest question for you is, uh, at any point since you've left, do you regret the fact that you were in Scientology? Do you ever think that, man, I wasted all this time not doing, I don't know, whatever else? Oh, yeah. Being a writer, I think you said you wanted to be at one time. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yes, absolutely. Have I have I experienced that, that feeling? Many times. Um, do I dwell yeah. on it or let myself, you know, sort of swim around in that regret? No, I've never let myself do that. Um, it's never that regret has never been the cause of, of any depressive episode or anything like that. But yes, I have definitely experienced it. So you've answered partly answered my question, mm. and that is, um, you're somebody who is, and I hate to put it like this, mm -hmm. a great example of somebody who has maybe a right to regret some things from sure. their past. Sure. I don't like saying it like that because 
look at you're on the internet now talking to me, talking to whomever, and you're telling people uh, some great information to stay away from Scientology. So there is a silver lining. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't take away from the fact that you're in Scientology and you did whatever and you got yelled at. And that is the guilt and the regret you've just mentioned comes up from time to time or however often, I don't know. Mm-hmm. How does one process that? How does one look at that? And the reason, Melissa, maybe you've experienced something similar in your life. You don't have to answer. You don't have to comment either. Um, so uh, do you have a comment about, oh, uh, do either of you have a comment about this kind of a process for people in general? I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll pitch in. Yeah. Okay. okay. If you think, and, and feel free to yeah, hop was, in. I was right? kind of thinking there. Yeah. Uh, do you have something? I, no, just go. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so here's, here's my answer in terms of what occurs in my mind or how I have come to learn to deal with this. Um, is it really comes back to that, that what I was talking about, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago about responsibility, that word responsibility for me is it able to respond, able to have a response to a thing. And I can only be so responsible for my actions and my past, uh, certainly fully responsible for what I did in the moments of, uh, of, of what I did, but I can't ever go back and change any of it. It's gone, it's done, it's never going to come back for me to go back and change it. I can only deal with the consequences of it now. And that's intellectually how I sort of process it. And then feelings-wise, what happens with that is a sort of, okay, right, I need to let this go because dwelling on the regret of it is fully throwing myself Mm -hmm. into the ocean of the past and drowning and that's not helping me or anybody. Um, that's not what I deserve, and it's not what anybody else wants. So instead, how can I sort of turn direction on this and think about what could I do in the future, one, to obviously prevent something like that from happening to me again, and what can I do right now and into the future to help other people to not have to have those kind of regrets for what they're doing in their life. And that honestly is probably my mission statement, <laughs> you know, or a way of putting what I'm what drives me. So so that's so it's very core to me this this whole this whole thing. And I, I uh, would agree with that. Like I don't you know, I didn't have any like super religious or culty stuff growing up, but I uh I definitely have things I regret, decisions I made that I'm like, oh, God, if I had not done it that way, maybe this would happen. But it's like you can't change it, like Chris said. So you just have to learn from it and kind of hope you don't make that same mistake again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. What do you think, Travis? Well, that's great information. And so this ties into the emotional intelligence and the emotional processing yep. that both of you uh, bring up. Is it okay to say frequently, rather frequently? I I, I agree. I do uh, bring it up frequently lately, and yeah, I and yeah. I think it's and I do because I think it's important. Yeah, yeah. Help me. Help, yeah, it's helped me a lot. In, this is, uh, and I would assume it would help most people, if not all people, who um, are looking to work through perhaps some life issues or discharge some of their negative energy or thought patterns, guilt and regret and. These kind of things come up 
I, from what I understand frequently with people, I, it's not like I interact with a, a large uh, swath of the population. That's not the case. Mm. Um, but from what I understand, it's the case. And it's something to get out there, yeah. uh, no matter how amateurish and uh, narrow the band bandwidth of the uh, one's reach may be. Yeah. So with that being said, I do have a, a silly question for both of you. All right. What's it uh, do you think Hootie and the Blowfish could make a comeback? <laughs> Hell yes! <laughs> I think Hootie went off to uh, country music, right? Didn't isn't that what so. he went off and did? No, 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 no. What's that? I did not ask you if you want Hootie to make a comeback. Oh, I could. <laughs> oh, could they make a comeback? Oh gosh. I don't know. They're kind of one of those '90s bands that sort of yeah, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I I'd like to see them try. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> yes, I I agree with you. I'm not trying to come down on you. I just want to make sure that the exuberance here, it, you know, yeah, it's yeah. well founded because I would love to see um, that that new Trent Reznor oh, yeah. uh, make a comeback from yeah. you know from Nine Inch yes. Nails. That dude is. Regardless of what anybody says about his music, that dude is on point with making some things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's yeah. doing a lot of um, soundtracks, composing right? for movies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. I got a question so for you, Travis. Yeah. What's your question? <laughs> You've asked me so many questions about Scientology minutia, but I'm going to give you um, what I think of as a softball question. You tell me. Um, what is the communication formula in Scientology? Okay, that okay. So the communication formula was published. I did read this in a directive. What do you call those? It's not on the green paper. It's on um, the cream colored one. Yeah, yeah. The um, the you, was, you, you read a lot of executive directives and stuff. Yeah. And that's where it came from. And it came from Hubbard. And it was during the first incarnation. The specific formula itself, I don't remember, but I remember reading about it from Hubbard himself in his, um, and it was one of these dope-fueled frenzies that he was under, or one of his early ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, okay, that's my extrapolation, because uh, it was so non-incoherent that I was just like, okay, look, you know? Um, so I, that's a partial answer. That's not what you were looking for. No. Nope. Um, you, you want to know the answer? No, it wasn't. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. The communication formula in Scientology is cause, distance, cause, distance, effect. Okay. Okay. With intention, attention on both sides. That's the basic formula is cause. I am cause. I'm communicating across a distance to a receipt point or an effect point. So it's cause, distance, effect is the basic answer. And again, it's nonsensical because there's a lot of communication that happens in very, very different ways than that. But Hubbard said this is the only formula of communication, and uh, Scientologists will swear by that. So it was published on, was it published in one of the cream paper, or was it a green one? No, it, I was, it a, was green, red, white. The, the origin of that is actually a Scientology book. It is called Dianetics 55. Oh, okay. And it was first published in 1955, and that's where Hubbard came up with that. 
So I was, I, I'm mistaken. It was something else then. Yeah, no problem. Um, no okay. problem. All right. Thanks, Travis. Take care. Awesome. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Awesome. Awesome. Love Travis. All right. All right. How are we doing? Uh, uh, we a super chat. Oh, okay. So, uh, J.R. Exner, what are five things you learned from Scientology that are still positive influences in your life? Your work ethic towards MSC, perhaps? Um... Hmm. All right, let's think about this. Um, I will say that the principle of looking up words was something that was a more positive than negative for me, um, especially after I learned how to, you know, turn down, turn it down from 11, right? Where it's not like every single word is going to ruin my entire life if I don't fully understand it. Um, so I think that was a positive. I think, um, in terms of me personally, I do believe that I gained some communication skills and public speaking skills from Scientology that have served me well. Um, I have said over and over again that such skills are available in lots of different places, but I learned them in Scientology. So that was a net positive for me. Um, let's see, um... There's still, okay, um, this is a little more fundamental maybe, is the idea that something can be done about it. That's a thought-stopping sort of mantra in Scientology, but after you kind of shed the, again, the dial it down from 11 and, and sort of just look at it as a piece of information, it is something that has given me a way of thinking about things where I will look for solutions to problems before I will just throw my arms up and say, there's no solution. It's, it's all hopeless. Um, there's nothing that can be done about this. Um, so in a way, my sort of, um, you know, uh, what's the word I want to use here? Uh, my unrelenting optimism, <laughs> Uh, which is not constant. I mean, I, you know, Mel can tell you there's plenty of times oh, yeah. where I've been down in the dumps about stuff, but <laughs> but but the, the the ability to bounce back from that, or the 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 feeling that no, I can find something here that I can do something about, even if it's just some little tiny thing now, just for me, that that has served me well. Um, and it's a and it's an extrapolation more than a direct lesson from Scientology because Scientology uses that abusively. You know, there's always something that can be done about it, and you better solve it. And rah rah rah. And there is no such thing as an unsolvable problem. And you know, they 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 take it to you know Too nonsensical <laughs> levels. Yeah, exactly as always. But you know, you tone it down, and you know, and maybe that's useful. Um, and. Here's something that actually that that Hubbard said that I kind of go, yeah, okay, um, which was that, you know, he said Freud was full of shit, and he was. Freud was full of shit. Uh, John Atak and I have broken down why. Um, and Hubbard said Freud was full of shit, even though he was cribbing all his work and for Dianetics, right, because that's what Hubbard would do. But the, Hubbard, but the point Hubbard made was what Freud showed us is that up until then, nobody was looking in here, right? Nobody was thinking, maybe there's something that we can do to improve behavior or change behavior or do something about the way we treat each other 
that has to do with what's going on up here and in our lives and in our past and in our in the events of our lives and maybe that has something maybe there's something important there now freud fucked it all up right with his drugs and his nonsensical ramblings and his projection of his own uncertainties and and fears and doubts on everybody else but just putting out the idea and popularizing the idea that there are answers to be found within us about us. That's a powerful piece of information, and it's driven an awful lot of research since then. And so that's, again, kind of a net positive out of an awful lot of negativity that there's something you can learn from that. Maybe we can, maybe we can, you know, maybe there's hope for us somehow, that kind of thing. You know, that's, that's, those are the kind of things I think of an answer to that question. We also have another super chat from Pine. Oh, if I'm saying that right. Nigreen, yes. Nigreen. And we will definitely give Benson some treats. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that super chat. He just got a new sort of toy thing. Um, It's so that he can learn how to do tricks. And so... Get excited because once he learns those tricks, we might put those on video. <laughs> Benson's stupid pet tricks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna rip off Letterman. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how responsive Benson is to this. He is a smart little cookie. Our dog. He is. He is a smart guy. He's um he's willful though. <laughs> we're still trying to trying to work on that. Uh, okay, so did we... I apologize, we... my, uh, CGM, my continuous glucose monitor is beeping at me, so... Oh. My blood sugar is fine, it's just telling me I need to change my thing. So. Oh, got it. <laughs> okay. Just want to make it stop beeping really fast. Alright. Alright, cool. Let's go ahead and, um, take that next call. Alright, we got Adria. Okay, hello, Adria. Hi, Chris. Hi, Melissa. Hello. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy 400. Thank you. you. We're very happy. Yay. Yay. Okay, so um, I wanted to chime in on, um, I think it was Travis who asked, um, how do you handle regrets in life? Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I thought you had a very well-thought-out analytical answer. Mm-hmm. I also would like to add an emotional answer to that. Please. The one that's more emotionally based. Because I have quite a few regrets. I'm disabled. And, you know, there are definitely regrets that come with that. Mm-hmm. And um, especially because one of the things was an accident of, it wasn't a car accident. It was a weightlifting accident. Um, I made a mistake. I didn't know what I didn't know and, you know, wound up disabling myself partially from it. Oh, wow. mm. So, um, yeah, I, life happens. But um, one of the things I've learned is to think about what I would say to a friend of mine if they had the same regret that I'm facing or if they, you know, went through the same thing I did, what would I say to my friend? Because I can be a lot kinder to a friend than I would be to myself. Oh, that's a great point. That alone is a great point. Yeah. If I had therapists (laughs) tell me that it's definitely valid. Yeah. It's like, yeah, to me is 
nice to yourself as you would be to your friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, please carry on. Sorry. I just wanted to hide. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the crux of it is if I were, and also if I were thinking about my friend's situation, how would I consider it? Like, would I be blaming them or would I be like, you know, would I feel compassion toward them? Like, Hey, you didn't know what you didn't know. It was an accident. You right. And yeah. So it's just thinking about yourself as you would your best friend and then talking to yourself the way you would as your best friend. That's right. That's exactly right. That's a great, great way of approaching it. Let me, let me share on that and tell me what you think of this because it, it really hit me hard a couple weeks ago, actually. And I think I shared this with you at the time was, um, you know, the thing about hitting a depressive episode, the thing about, you know, sitting in the doldrums, which we can get into, mm-hmm. right? And if you and if depression's a thing for you, then you really know what I'm talking about. Is that Oh, I have major depressive disorder, yeah. Yeah, so you <laughs> so you're gonna get this, of course, right? And it's that when you're in that, like ninety five percent of what you're sitting there telling yourself is just total bullshit. Oh yeah. It's complete lies yep. about yourself. You know, you're useless. You're never, yeah. you've never helped anybody. You've never been any good. You know, all this stuff about how useless and hopeless and awful everything is and how nothing really matters. And it's all amounted to a hill of beans. And, yeah. and are you coming, sure you haven't been living in my head? Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a thing, right? And some of us suffer from this a little bit more than others. And we have these times when it's really kind of yeah. overwhelming yeah. in the way, you know, in the, in the same way, uh, tropical storm compares to a, you know, to a light, you know, drizzle. I mean, it's really very powerful stuff. But here's the thing. And and here's the thing that I can, that, that really hit me the other day is I was watching an actor named Bill Nye. He's a British actor. I love this guy. He was in love actually in a bunch of other movies. And he talks very candidly as a, as a veteran actor about what it is to act and what it is, what the process is and what it's not and how there's all this kind of nonsense connected with it and how it's a very straightforward kind of job. But one of the things that he said, which really connected with me on this depression point was he said, 95% of what you're telling yourself as an actor is you're waiting to go out on set and do the job is bullshit. You're telling yourself how awful you are, how everybody's going to laugh at you, how it's off, you know, how you're not going to do a good job, how it's going to fall apart. And this is how, this is what lives in your head all the way up until you get up and go out on set and do the work. Right. And, and I couldn't help but connect what he was saying with what I was thinking with the depression thing and thinking, wow, there's a real, common connection there of how we lie to ourselves in those moments and he said something that I thought was very empowering for me with the depression which was he said the job of acting is not so much going out and doing the work on the set yeah that's absolutely the thing but what you're getting paid for is to go is to overcome that 95 percent bullshit and go out there anyway and do the work right mm. and not let that stop yeah. you because they're because the people who can't they don't succeed they're mm. not the ones who are going to make it you know and every actor would mm. suffer from this to one degree or another i've heard this from many many actors over the years not just him but he's the one who put it best 
And I just really connected with that. And I thought that that was a useful, totally out of left field piece of advice or piece of knowledge, right, that connects with the depressing part. So thought I'd, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that fit with what you were talking about there. What do you think? Yeah. Well, that does make sense to me. I know that with my, um, like, with depression and anxiety and other things that I deal with, just because I feel a certain way, I try not to let that run my life. Right. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't take a lot of time resting, which I physically need to do and other yep. things. But yep. Like, you know, this is how I feel, but I'm not going to let it dictate what I do. Exactly. That's where I was going with it, right? Yeah. Is is you can't always yeah. be at cause over it. You can't always make it go away. Maybe that's the wrong goal is I'm going to make this go away or I'm going to suppress this out of existence or I'm going to ignore this out of existence. That's not part of the picture yeah, we're talking about here. Yeah, that's not what I mean here. at all. Yeah, me neither. No, right? I don't mean that at all. It's like I'm afraid and I'm going to do it anyway. Exactly. Or I... Um, I am really thinking I'm an awful, good-for-nothing piece of whatever. But you know what? I'm going to show up to life anyway. I'm going to, you know, I can feel what I feel and, um, you know, and then process it by, okay, now if my friend was feeling this way in this situation, how, what would I say to them? How would I support them? Or, um, you know... Or, you know, what can I do about what's going on? So I'm feeling all the feelings, but I'm processing them. Bingo. And then um, also, to add to that, something I said before, the um, acronym HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. Mm-hmm. When I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, depression is worse, anxiety is worse. Yes. It's not a good time to make a major decision. <laughs> um, yes. And and you need to take care of hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If I'm hungry, I need to eat. If I'm lonely, maybe I should call a friend. If I'm, you know, angry, well, what's going on? If I'm tired, I need to sleep. <sighs> That's right. That's yeah. right. And there's no substitute for it. If you're hungry, go eat. Yes. You know, there's no substitute for it. Yes. And isn't it shocking sometimes how you get into that and you don't, and then you suddenly realize, oh, I'm hungry. And then you go eat. And just what a fantastic change it can make. Or you go take a nap or something. I never used to deal mm-hmm. with any of this stuff that way. I was always, <laughs> no, fuck it. I got to <laughs> drive through this shit, man. You know, and it was, that's the, that was, that was the negative Scientology influence, right? To make it go right, you know, and it's like, no, screw that. Go take a nap. You'll get 10 times more done, you know, it's like that kind of thing. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I sometimes have to, this is going to sound crazy to some people, but sometimes I have to sleep literally 24 to like 48 hours, but then I am so much more productive. Because my body has rested all that it needs to. Because I have a bunch of chronic issues. Sure. The pinch nerves is just one of them. But, you know, when you take care of those things, then you can live your life to the fullest. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And what's the point if you're not... in your life. Exactly. And that's the whole point of living. So 
Uh, thank you, Adria. This has been a great call. Thank you for that wonderful suggestion. That is a, that is a fantastic way to approach these things is talk to yourself like you would talk to a good friend, Mm -hmm. you know, because we do, we are way too harsh to ourselves, way too harsh. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. 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 All right. And remember you always make all the difference to your puppy. That's true. (laughs) When I get really down. When I get really down, I think about the little doggies I dog sit, and I make all the difference in the world to oh, those yeah. little babies. Oh, so, yeah. yes. Yeah. Excellent. So you make all the difference in the world to little Ben. Mm-hmm. Now, well, do you have a you. question for me since it was yeah. my idea? Yeah, since it was your idea. Actually, two, <laughs> two people gave me that idea, so that's that's why I ran with it. You were oh, the first so one. Funny. Yeah. Two yeah, two people <gasps> independently. Yeah, Great so. Life. So here's my question for you is, do you know, I referenced earlier the Scientology symbol and the two triangles that, that, that feature in it. And I said the ARC triangle is the bottom one. Do you know what the top one is? Isn't that about, um, isn't that about the uh, leadership structure? It is. It's called the executive triangle and it is the knowledge, responsibility, and control. And it has to do okay. with it has to do with leadership and and it, and being a Scientology executive. That's where they tend to to uh, concentrate mm-hmm. on it. But it is it is about knowledge, responsibility, and control. And the idea being, if you improve one of those corners, you automatically improve the other two. Again, a principle that sounds like mm-hmm. it makes sense, and in certain contexts, it does. But there are so many exceptions yeah. to the rule that it's not really a rule at all. It's just a little, you know, fun piece of uh, of, of whatever. So that's uh, the top triangle it's of Scientology. Trivia. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's really not any kind of life principle, but it's uh, it's you know, it's something to keep in mind if you're if you're trying to try to figure something out. Yep. All right. Thanks for calling in. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Awesome. All right. I see we have one other call in the queue right now. Let's go ahead and check a, take a quick look and make sure, see if we've missed any other. Uh, oh, we do have a few. We have a bunch. Oh, a bunch. Okay. Let me see if I can power through some of these real fast, and then we'll take that last call and probably move toward wrapping up in our okay. last 12 minutes here. So, um <laughs> <laughs> Are high velocity enemas dangerous? Asks Red Pill Three Thousand. Gee, uh, I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, yeah. I, I think if your doctor didn't tell you you need it, you probably shouldn't do it. Probably <laughs> when it Pro- comes to enemas. <laughs> yeah, probably seek competent medical advice there, Red Pill. Uh, you might need some help. Uh, do you know? Uh, I do not. Okay, do I know what happened to my fellow Austrian Kurt Wieland or Wayland? I do not. I he's probably in the hole or something or being punished in some way if he's even still in Sea Org. This was a guy who headed up OSA for a while and I, I if I'm remembering right, um I think he took I think he might be the guy who took over for Render after he left. Um but I have no idea. I have no current knowledge or of his whereabouts or or what he's up to. Um, Shimoda asks, since you asked about the ARC triangle, here's one from the cult I was in. How many years did cult leader, oh, I'm not going to know this one. Ole Nidal? 
Yeah, get away with <laughs> claiming to be a PhD before being caught out. Just kidding. Yeah, don't know. Uh, unfortunately, the the vast breadth of my cult knowledge is Scientology at a core. Um, Mormons. I know a lot about. I know quite a bit about Mormon uh, theology and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses because of the three apostate episodes and all the work I did with those guys. And I know maybe more than the average bear, but not enough to where I feel comfortable discussing Islam. Um, that's still something that is that is on the back burner for me to discuss. But I know a, a few things about it. But when it comes to uh, this guy or, you know, certain other things, I kind of go, nah, you're going to have to tell me about it. I can tell you about mechanisms of control, but, you know, the, these kind of trivia points I'm not going to I'm not going to know. Um, oh, here's a great question from X Cyan. What do you think about the Supreme Court making decisions about the future of the Internet? That is a case I have been following. That's that um, Section 302 case that the Supreme Court is reviewing right now as to uh, whether uh, basically the question on the line, Section 230, sorry, and the, and the point is, are internet companies, uh, platforms like Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google, response, YouTube, I think specifically is what's uh, being brought in this case, are they responsible for their algorithms feeding up destructive or bad content to people? Are they respons- just as responsible for the speech in that content as the content creator? And, um, and that's the question on the line right now. And, it's, an, and it's, a, it's a hot topic question. It has valid points on both ends of the argument as to public safety and public policy versus freedom of speech. Right, because their algorithms are just purposely giving you stuff that, you know, that feed dangerous ideas and, and you know, get you all riled up and, and angry and stuff like that. But then at the same time, it's like, well, okay, their algorithms are doing that, but they can't necessarily be personally responsible for every thing that every content creator says. Well, that's exactly, that's <laughs> actually exactly the point is, is the, is the, the content creation platform, YouTube creates algorithms in order to feed you recommended videos based solely not on what YouTube thinks you want to watch, it's what you are selecting, and then it is serving up similar type content based on your choices. So is the algorithm kind of made by you, or is it kind of made by the right, platform? Right. Because the same algorithm that is serving up ISIS videos to people looking for terrorist extremist stuff is the same algorithm that is serving up cooking recipes to you if mm-hmm. you start looking for cook- chocolate chip cookie recipes. Suddenly, you've got a whole column of recommended videos about sugar cookies, chocolate chip cookies, peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. Uh, here's some other chocolate chip cookies, right? you got a whole list of things. That same algorithm is doing that work, and there's nothing horrible going on there. So... Where do we fall on this? Because it's got a potential or because it has served up bad stuff, what responsibility does the platform itself have for that? Especially when you look at something like YouTube where thousands and thousands of hours of video content is being uploaded every single day 
it sort of puts it beyond the ability of human beings to be able to filter and censor all that content on a regular basis. So how do we deal with this? Well, the way the Internet's been made is to make it that we that these algorithms deal with that stuff. And uh, the Supreme Court now has to figure out what they want to do with that. So I'm kind of waiting with bated breath to see what the results of that case are because it may have something to do with my future. But we'll see. We'll see how this all pans out. You know, there's a lot of doom and gloom on both ends of this as far as doomful predictions of where this all could go and it'll destroy the Internet. I, I doubt that. You know, I don't think it's, it's going to be like that at all. But, um, but you, you know, you asked, so those are my thoughts on it. I, I don't pretend to be a... Uh, you know, legal scholar on this stuff, but that's what I can say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Did we have any? We, have, we do have more questions. We also have that call. Yeah, let's go ahead and take the call. Come on. All right. All right. Is this uh, Stacy? Is this Drea? Yeah, Stacy Drea. Yeah. <laughs> How are oh, you? Hi. Hello. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi. Thank you. Um, hi, Chris, Melissa, and Benson. Hello. <laughs> hi. So I have a question in regards to cults, but cult-like followers specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm part of the African-American community. Mm-hmm. There are certain proclaimed leaders in this community that are scummy shysters, to put it nicely. Yeah. Um, and no matter how much light is brought onto their misdeeds, they consistently have followers. Yep. And it just baffles me because one guy is being accused of molesting a teenager another guy that has following followers is been scamming the community for 13 years taking money for school and you know never you know never coming to you know what he promised Mm -hmm. so but this is just an example of these type of shysters that have cult-like followers Mm -hmm. and no matter how much you try to you know there have been several people that have tried to you know shed a light on what they're doing there just seems to be people that will just give them money and just defend them and just, and I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> sure, sure, of course. Well, it has to do with emotional commitment more so than it has to do with facts and evidence and reason. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's emotional, And so right? how do you deal with somebody who's only, you know, and I and understand it, like the one person, he's been scamming the community for 13 years. Yep. And I guess if I was one of the people that has been following him for 13 years, yeah, I'm emotionally invested in him. That's right. And I don't want to admit that he's a scammer. Mm-hmm. But at some point... You know, just at some point you go, okay, he's, yeah, he's scamming. Like, how do you, because I see 
other content creators constantly trying to to get these people to understand, Mm -hmm. even from a logical perspective or from an emotional perspective. And none of it seems to work because they're still throwing money at these people and still defending and following these people. And I I just, you know, I kind of feel like it's a hamster wheel thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, um, it's like you're on the hamster wheel. So how do you how do you deal with this? Yeah, totally. First off, it can only best be done one on one with an individual, not over social media or, you know, it, it's personal contact. First off, that's important, right? Because it's awful hard to argue somebody out of an extremist mindset over comments on Facebook or something, right? Or even in DMs. That's really, really, really hard to do. So so the personal mm. contact is really important because you've got to establish a relationship of trust with the person because the only way to kind of, and what I'm talking about here is kind of intervention kind of stuff, right? Like you're going to intervene in this person's life and try to change their mind about something. They've got to be willing to talk to you and they have to be willing to open up and tell you what they really think. And then you can start asking questions and be very curious about what is it about this person or group or ideal that they follow or are so hooked up to. It's going to be something for them. And it might not necessarily be a stereotypical response. They might glom onto this person because they think this person did something for them personally 10 years ago. Or they learned something very valuable and important from this person that made some difference in their life. And that convinced them that this person now knows what they're talking about and so they listen to them on everything when maybe they shouldn't so you want to find that moment find that thing what's the connection for that person why do they think this person is so valuable and important and they won't tell you the real answers or the real reasons if they don't trust you or they're now or they don't think you're being genuine with them So otherwise, you're just going to get stupid arguments in your face, right? You're just going to get mantras and nonsense. So you got to get the person to open up. That's that personal connection. I wish there was an easier way to do this, you know, but you're talking about a, a, a group of people or individuals who aren't responding to usual facts and media reports and evidence, right? They're like, nope, nope, nope. I'm not listening to that. I'm not seeing that. I'm not hearing that. Right? They do the the monkey see, monkey not, you know, not hear, not see, not speak any evil thing, right? right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to, and and you can, and how do you talk to that? You've got to get them to open up. They have to. There's no other way around it. And that's that personal connection. So being curious, asking more questions, especially at the beginning before you're trying to introduce arguments or facts to them, is you got to do an awful lot of listening first and get them to open up, right? And and that's the basic path to it. It requires listening skills, right? Because you're going to want to interrupt them. You're going to want to, you know, stop talking stupid stuff, right? But you got to listen to some of that. You don't have to listen to it all day. I'm not suggesting that, you know, you you right. you go do some, uh, you know, uh, have them tell you their whole creed or something. But what, what you're trying to find out is why do you care so much about this guy? Right. What is it that that appeals about this to you? Right. Mm-hmm. And and it, and they'll tell you if you listen. 
And then you can start kind right. of taking that apart, you know? And, you know, in listening to some of the dialogue that I have heard over the years, you know, some of it's based on hopes and dreams yeah. and needing a savior. Yeah. And then some of it is like, okay, one in particular, he, you know, he's going to make a school to save little boys. But this dude is an absentee father and doesn't even take care of his own children. Wow. I'm like, where is the logic in that? Exactly. It is illogical. That makes no sense. It doesn't. You're absolutely right. But isn't it amazing how people can shut that whole thing down and only want to hear and the positives, do. right? They do. Absolutely. They Absolutely. just do. It's not a matter of we want it to be that way. It just is that way. So the only path I know to deal with that is to get the person calmed down, not all riled up, not defensive, and then you're actually having a genuine conversation with them. And that's when the frontal lobes engage. And that's when they're open to hearing what you're actually saying. And they're not defensive and fighting you. Okay, that's, that's when you lose is when it's a fight. So, I mean, this is kind of disheartening because, I mean, we all know about groupthink. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a lot of these people, it is groupthink. Yeah. And it yep. is, you know, um, I've put so much time and energy into this person, you know, the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. That I'm not willing to admit that I have been wrong all this time. That's right. That's right. And even worse there's uh, there's a psychiatrist named uh, Dr. Bandy Lee who also has a whole theory about shared psychosis and how it's a little contagious, yeah. right? And that's kind of mm -hmm. what you're dealing with too, which is why you want to get the person removed from that environment in order to do this kind of work. You can't do it in the middle of you know, the congregation or group meeting or during a protest or during some rally situation or some bullshit like that, right? It's got to be a chill okay. environment situation. I, I know it, it's overwhelming because you look at this large group of people, but the fact is it's a one-on-one -on -one approach. They're, they, you know, to groups, the way you deal with groups of people and changing hearts and minds is through propaganda techniques. And that's beyond what you and me are talking about today. You know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, and I hear you. It's just so sad to see people. Um, one particular person, I know people have been pouring millions of dollars into this guy's pocket and it is just like, you know, you're throwing it out the window because he's, he's not ever going to do what he said he's going to do. No. And yet people who I would think don't really have that type of money are consistently still giving it to him. Yeah. It, and that you know, is disheartening. It's really disheartening. Yeah. It is. I hear you. I so hear you. I look at a Joel Osteen. Or, uh, you yeah. know, Liberty University, right? Mm -hmm. Jerry Falwell Jr. And these, yeah. these con men, these obvious con men that people yeah. just can't throw money yeah. at fast enough. Believe me, I feel your frustration. It's the human condition. And, and it comes down to our emotional life. It's not about facts. It's about emotions. 
And that's that's the only thing I, I can come down to on this thing, you know. It's I wish it was better news. I wish it was easier. We're, we're you know, I really do. <laughs> no, I and I, I understand it. I thank you. I'm just glad I'm not one of his cult like followers. Me too. You know? Me too. Um, and so, you know, this way, you know, it's one less person, you know, feeding right. into his bullshit. That's right. But yeah, you know, it's it's just fascinating to watch from the sidelines and at some point you get to the point where you just like uh, I'm I'm showing you what he's saying himself and you still will not take that as evidence of how fucked up he is that's right Mm -hmm. that's right oh here let me let me share this real fast because I just thought of another thing that might help you and might help people who are watching um Talk to them if you can or get them to watch or recommend they watch videos or documentaries about other cults that have absolutely nothing to do with their cult. Gotcha. So they're not defensive. Exactly. Right. Let's go watch Going Clear. I just saw this amazing documentary about Scientology. You won't believe how crazy these people are. Right, Let's right. go watch it. Right. right. It's not going to hit. It's gotcha. not going to. It's not going to change minds immediately, but it starts planting seeds of like, wait a second, you know, and it could all be their internal monologue. They might not say a word to you. And it might take a little while for their gears to even engage with it. But people find this fascinating. So if you educate them, you know, kind of on the sly, using documentaries, because it's a big topic right now. It's all over Netflix and other Hulu and Peacock, right? Show them that stuff. Get them interested in that. And that might help the process along. You know, it's funny you say that because I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Ah. And I haven't been in the church in a gazillion years. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I started watching Scientology in the aftermath with Leah that I started to be able to put words to my experience. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. That's how so, that's yeah. associations. Okay. That's how the so brain much. works. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling in. This is a great call. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Good stuff there. Um, okay, let's take uh, – we're just having so much fun here. I'm just going to keep going for a little bit, but we'll, we'll wrap up very, very shortly. Oh, there's, way, there's a lot of questions there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Never mind. We will start wrapping up. Um, and I said that was going to be the last call, so I will stick with that. Okay, guys. Uh, let's see. Let me just check in and see if we have anything else. Okay, good. All right, let's wrap it up for today. I have had a lot of fun with this show. I hope you guys have too. Um, this is, you know, episode 400. There's no end in sight on my critical Q&A shows. (laughs) So you guys just keep throwing questions at me. I'll keep giving you answers as best I know how. And um, I hope that through uh, this show and all the other content I put out and everything, that, um, that you find the answers you're looking for. 
you know, uh, and uh, and that you maybe possibly support the channel in the process. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> <'Cause>, guys. <laughs> well, it, uh, quite honestly, you know, the only reason all this is happening is because of you guys. So uh, your support is what keeps it going. And on that happy note, uh, bye-bye. Goodbye.